When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Thursday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And today we continue our look at previous Andrew Berry draft classes and expectations for 2022. And today it is the 2021 class. If you missed our look at the 2020 class, just go back in your feed and listen to the Wednesday podcast where we discuss that. Today it's Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko, Ashley Bastock, and me. Uh, so that's coming up on the pod. This is where I tell you about Football Insider. I wrote the newsletter today. If you weren't a subscriber, you missed what I wrote in the newsletter. It had to do with the 2020 draft class. So get subscribed. Cleveland.com slash Browns the Blue Banner at the top of the pages. You can get that newsletter every single day. You can become one of our text subscribers, and you can have access to exclusive stories at Cleveland.com slash Browns. All right, let's talk 2021 draft class and expectations for 2022 on today's Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Here we go on our Thursday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, looking back today at the 2021 draft. And let's just get to it. We'll start with the first pick from that draft. It was Greg Newsom the second. Uh, Newsom was pretty good his rookie year. And I think he's probably one of the players in these last two drafts that we've talked about in these last two pods that, uh, at least for me, I'm really excited to kind of see what his season is going to look like in 2022. Uh, Mary Kay, we'll start with you. What is the next step now for, for Greg Newsom and his development? Well, I think it's a couple of things. He had a pretty good rookie year, uh, graded, graded out okay. Uh, he ended up, according to PFF, uh, becoming the 35th best cornerback in the NFL uh, amongst the qualifiers, only 105th in tackling, however. So he has to get, get better in his tackling. And then... Uh, I do think that, that Greg Newsom and all of the cornerbacks need to focus more on getting those takeaways, getting those interceptions. He didn't have any. Uh, Denzel Ward had three. So those guys need to do a better job of that. And then this year also with Greg Newsom, I think you're going to be looking at uh, probably at least as much inside work for him uh, as he had last year or maybe even a little more, uh, depending on what happens with Martin Emerson and how it all shakes out. The fact that he can play in the slot, uh, I think it will come in very handy for them, especially this year with Troy Hill gone. So I've got the grades up here, Scott. Uh, he was, uh, like Mary Kay said, kind of overall ranked a little lower. But among rookies last year, he was second in coverage at 70.6. But the thing she said at the end, I think, is, is what fascinates me the most. Like, there's a world where Greg Newsom is just the number two outside corner and him and Denzel just establish each other, establish themselves in those two roles. There's also a world where he spends a lot of his time inside where maybe he's not like, you know, the, the starting nickel guy. He's your, he's your number two corner. He'll be the corner that plays the second most snaps behind Denzel. But when teams go to 11, when they go, when they do spread out four wide, Newsom might be one of the guys that moves inside. I think that's a really fascinating subplot. Yeah, that could be the step that he has to take is just getting used to doing that more. Um, because, you know, when you look up and down the, the depth chart for the cornerbacks, there aren't a lot of guys who have slot experience. He's 
he's kind of up there at the top of the list. And if, if that becomes his home, then it's interesting that like Greedy Williams and are they battling for the other spot? It's have depth and good to have some versatility, but he's really that only guy I think who you look at and say, yeah, he's, he can be doing that back and forth. They don't have MJ Stewart anymore. That's another thing they lost, you know, along with Troy Hill. So you really, you lost not only your starting slot guy, you lost the guy who played most of the, the slot as a backup. And in emergency situations last year, there were games where he was, you know, snap by snap, MJ Stewart's going back and forth between safety and slot. So, uh, yeah, I think that's one of the things we're going to be looking for first, trying to, uh, during OTAs, trying to figure out who's, who's getting most reps there and trying to, to see if there's any clues there about what we might see come training camp. Um, but yeah, I think he's, he's your most likely option. Or maybe, maybe we're going to see a lot of training going on during OTAs, you know, guys just taking reps, trying to deal with guys in the slot. And because it's just a different animal. You don't have that sideline there to help you. It's, you know, the route could go either way. And just, it's just a different, a different situation. Yeah, Ashley, in a lot of ways, you know, this defense we, we've talked about, I know, Scott, you like to use the, the phrase positionless football. Um, and it feels like in some ways they want to go this way on defense. And, and with Newsom maybe having that ability to slide outside, go inside, what, whatever he can do, that sort of takes them a little closer to that. But also, it's not a bad thing if he's just your number two outside corner and him and Denzel just shut people down. Yeah, and I mean, to give people an idea, 517 snaps for him outside last year, according to PFF, and 102 snaps in the slot. So I think like when we heard from Kevin Stefanski last week at rookie minicamp and we're asking him about this and he's like, oh, I think we have multiple guys who can play that. Like, yes, some of that is him not wanting to reveal anything too soon and they need to get a look at these guys. But I think Greg Newsom has shown he can be effective in there. And, and on top of that, like kind of like what Mary Kay was saying, I think he has a lot of room to grow with getting those takeaways. That's something that he's talked about in wanting to create those interceptions and things like that. So I think it's all about them finding where he can be most effective, maybe at doing some of those things to help this defense the most. And Mary Kay, just to kind of follow on that thread a little bit, as I'm looking at those splits on, on PFF, when you look at the last two weeks specifically, uh, 36 in the slot and 33 wide in week 17. And then week 18, when they played Cincinnati, it was 33 in the slot and eight out wide. And that was a weird week, obviously, for, for a lot of reasons um, and, and who Cincinnati was playing. But Cincinnati is a team that spreads it out a lot. Week 17 and 18, when you're out of the playoffs, probably I don't know how much stock you should put in it as far as what it tells you about the next season. But that is kind of an interesting split in the last two weeks. Yeah. And, you know, they may have been doing that with an eye to the future and trying to determine uh, what they were going to do with MJ Stewart, what they were going to do with Troy Hill moving forward. Um, I was a little surprised that they let MJ go because I just thought he was a, a good utility defensive back and somebody that you really could throw out there and have him be effective as that nickelback. But I think what this means is that um, everybody in the secondary is going to have to be able uh, to do a little bit of everything. And I think it represents maybe a little bit of a, a paradigm shift or a scheme shift in that, um, you know, we'll probably see some different things. 
uh, with with different guys in there. And I think everybody's going to have to be able to do it and will have opportunities to do so. And let's remember that the Browns, you know, if they feel they have three or four really good corners that they want to rotate in, not every team they play is going to have an outstanding guy in the slot or somebody that they're going to have to put a corner on a lot in the slot. There might be teams that are going to use a tight end there more and stuff like that. So your idea, Dan, that it could kind of be a, a sometimes thing, you know, kind of play it by ear. That could certainly happen. But for that guy who is playing in the slot, whether it's Newsom or whoever, he better be good at tackling. Like Mary Kay said, he, he kind of struggled with that. Troy Hill was really great against the run last year. And you're a lot closer to the line. You're a lot closer to that that target area of a, of a running back coming out wide um, of a tackle or, you know, a guards or centers polling and trying to blow you up. So that's important too. And, and who on that cornerback depth chart can handle that is, you know, as well as Troy Hill did. And like Ashley, maybe there's a world where they just want those 33 and whatever, what is it? 33, six inch arms by Martin Emerson. Yeah. Maybe they just want those in the middle. <laughs> they want him yeah. playing the slot. And when, again, when we heard from, Kevin Stefanski last week, you know, he mentioned that it's almost like when you have arms that are that long, it gives you like more of a margin for error. Like guys are going to, you know, contest with you at the line for line of scrimmage. But even if they gain like a few inches on you and you're battling in there, you still have that length to kind of make up for it. So I think that's why he's again, just, just so intriguing. And when we saw him, like he just seemed like he fit out there on the field. Okay, so real quick, just to, to bring it back to Greg Newsom and not just a general slot discussion, just each of you. Greg Newsom, Pro Bowler this year? Is there a chance? There are a lot of good players at that position. There are a lot of really, really good cornerbacks uh, in the NFL. So it's not going to be easy, uh, especially because uh, Denzel already has that sort of reputation as the Browns Pro Bowl corner. Doesn't mean that Greg can't make it too. That's obviously what you hope for your first round pick in his uh, second or third year. So I think it's possible. But uh, once again, in order to gain that kind of attention, he's going to have to have some good games in big games so that people can see him on those, uh, you know, primetime games. And I think it would help his cause tremendously if he can get his hands on some footballs. Anyone else see Greg as, as a potential? I mean, the potential might yeah. be there. I think least. I was going to say, you know, I can see how the potential is there and agree with Mary Kay that when you're playing opposite of Denzel, that that might be difficult. But for me with Greg, like the thing that I always came back to in his rookie year, and I think this was maybe just a, a snapshot of what we could see from him is in that first Bengals game, you know, the one that that really mattered where uh, Cleveland played really well. He just matched up so well against Jamar Chase and he got most of the targets against him. When you look at the Browns defense and the matchup breakdown on PFF, he had the most targets go, uh, going his way uh, in defending Jamar Chase, did a really nice job on him. So I think like for me, that was just a snapshot. And I agree with Mary Kay, like he's going to have to have more performances like that. But I think with some more of those takeaways kind of mixed in to get people talking about him, if you're talking about, you know, potentially two Pro Bowl corners on this defense. I mean, I'd be good with a repeat of of last year with some better run defense, better tackling. I think that's, that's fine for year two. If he at least equals that. Um, I'm not ready to talk about Pro Bowls yet (laughs) with the, with both corners here. 
All right, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. He, of course, was the second-round pick. And again, just another really interesting guy, another guy that it appears uh, Andrew Barry hit on in trading up to select. Scott, it was a little bit of stop and start with Owusu-Koromoa last year, not just in training camp during the season two, but he was a week one starter. I, I think, I, I guess, what what percentage do you think we saw of Owusu-Koromoa? I mean, how much more do you think this team can unlock with him just from what we saw last year to this year? Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day because I remember Joe Wood saying, we're not going to, you know, you're not going to see everything this year. And I'm just wondering like, what, maybe, maybe more blitzing, um, using him more to rush the passer. He was very good at that. Um, I mean, he just, he just seemed to do really well at so many different things uh, really across the board. Uh, you know, he was good against the run. I don't know. I, I think that he ended up playing probably more than they had anticipated originally. Maybe we saw, I'm assuming we saw like well over 50%. I'm sure that towards the end of the season, they were giving him more than maybe they had planned on early on. Um, Because there's that stretch where I think he was top five among all linebackers by PFF grading. And then he had the, he was injured for a couple of weeks um, or he was out for a couple of weeks. And then it just kind of, it fell back to earth, but I don't know. I, we better see a hundred percent this year. I think after this past season, I don't think there's any excuse why they would hold anything back at this point. He clearly handled whatever it was percentage wise that they gave to him last year. Yeah. And Ashley, of course, you, you know, you wrote that big story uh, about him and, and kind of got to know his background a little bit. I mean, this, this is a guy, I think we saw it firsthand. He picks up on things very, very quickly and he seems to just attack things like full bore. Yeah, I'm, he's a player on this team. I mean, he might be the player on this team that I'm kind of endlessly fascinated by in terms of his process. And that mental process is a big thing. And like Scott mentioned, Joe Woods talked about not wanting to throw things at him too quickly. And that seemed to indicate like to me at the time, or, you know, like that, especially in terms of blitzing and things like that, that they weren't going to throw a ton at him because it was his first year. But this is just a guy who like Joe Woods then talks about, like he finds mistakes in the game plans. Like he'll go through their game plans and find mistakes. Like almost if there are any in any given week, he fills up entire notebooks for that opponent. And I think that just goes to show, like, for me, I do think he, even though he was so good this year, he has so much more room to grow because you think about all these fluky injuries or incidents he had like with the the throat contusion and getting COVID and the weightlifting accident, like all these things that caused him to miss some time and an ankle sprain. Uh, He just, I don't think got the full opportunity to really get into fully into his process, even though he did a really good job with that. There's still so much room to grow. And I think that's why he's so interesting in terms of what other responsibilities can they put on him and how quickly can he pick that up? What does that year two leap look like, Mary Kay? Well, you know, I think I'm going to, I'm going to drop a big football cliche on you here, Love it. (laughs) but I do think the sky is the limit for JOK. I really do think that this could be a pro bowl year for him. And one of the reasons why I say that is because last year, despite all the things that we're talking about, despite the weight room accident and getting COVID in training camp and the throat contusion and the high ankle sprain, despite all of that, he finished 10th in the NFL amongst linebackers, qualifying linebackers with a 76.5 PFF grade. And as we've talked about before, um, you know, once you're up into those seventies, that's when, you know, you're, you're, you're playing pretty well when you're up there. 
the three players right above him on the list were all all pros. And that's Darius Leonard, Levante David, and Demario Davis. And so he's in some really, really good company where he's at right now. And, uh, and I really think that uh, once he has a full training camp and once they really know what to do with him and Joe Woods feels more comfortable with his knowledge of the scheme, I think Joe Woods is one of those like tends toward veteran kind of guess what he's seeing, what he's doing, where to be, how to get there. And I, I think he'll trust him a lot more this season. And I mean, he's just going to, you know, just that whole off season of having everything sort of sink in and it gels and the lights come on. So I think he's going to hit the ground running in training camp. And, uh, and I think again, that Joe Woods will give him plenty more to do. He'll be up for it. And I think this could definitely be a pro bowl year for him. Scott, we spent a lot of time talking about like, who's the mic, who's outside. I mean, is JOK like, he strikes me as just this weird guy who can play any of like if they wanted him to play Mike some week, he could. Um, he maybe that's ultimately where he ends up is in, is in the middle of things. But if you want him outside, you can do that. Who knows? Maybe he'll be defending the slot this year. It seems like they should come up with different um, descriptions of linebackers now, <laughs> since so many people play nickel, and since so few teams have three linebackers on the field, um, you really want a guy like JOK who's so versatile and can move around. Um, but I do think it's going to be him and Taki Taki probably flanking Walker uh, when we see, you know, first team reps in camp. Um, that's likely how they start. But uh, JOK is just linebacker, period. He's a guy who's going to get the most snaps at that position this year. And I think that's best case scenario for the Browns. All right. Another one here. We're moving on. And this is where we start to get into the guys that, frankly, we're not quite sure about yet. And, you know, unfortunately, we don't have Doug for this specific segment. Maybe we should have had him, had him call in or something, but uh, let's talk about Anthony Schwartz, the third round pick from a year ago. Again, another guy that dealt with injuries during training camp, never quite got things going. Uh, did manage to score a touchdown in that green Bay game. That, that's really kind of the only game where it felt like they really sort of tried to use him the way they anticipated. So Ashley, Anthony Schwartz, there is an opportunity there now this year. What does it look like for him? If it's good. I think it looks like number one being available because like we talked about consistently with him that missing that much time, I think really, really hindered him this year. And we didn't get a full picture of what he could be. And when you're talking about him, when like I, Doug's not here, but I'll use his phrase. He's a really fast guy. Who's not an NFL receiver yet. That's always what Doug says. Right. So I think it's like adding more of those nuances to his game and proving that he isn't just this speedy guy. Um, that he can maybe do some of these things that we've heard the Browns talk about in terms of like his mental acumen and football IQ and, and things like that. So I am really curious to see what his role looks like with this revamped passing game now. And with, you know, Amari Cooper in that top spot, we, I know yesterday, you guys obviously talked about DPJ kind of poised for that number two spot. Uh, We'll see what David Bell's development looks like in the slot. Like all these things, I think, are going to kind of maybe dictate a little bit what his role looks like. But I think he's not a guy that they want to give up on. And I know Mary Kay, you even asked Kevin Stefanski about this after the draft. And he's like, I haven't forgotten about Anthony Schwartz, you know, that I think they have a very specific role for him, but you have to also look at the people ahead of him. And it does make me wonder 
where exactly he fits like rep wise and, and things like that and what that's going to look like for him this year. So Mary Kay, you've been the most optimistic of, of anyone on this pod about Schwartz. So, I mean, what do you think this year holds for him? What, what does the next step or, I mean, I guess in a way, almost that first step looked like for him. Well, first of all, uh, he has to be healthy in order to even begin to live up to his third round status, which he did not, he wasn't able to really do that last year because of the hamstring that cost him all of the off season, all of the preseason, and then the concussion that cost him three full games. So he really didn't have that much of an opportunity. And then the other setback, the other detriment to him was the fact that he was pressed into service in the opener against the Kansas city chiefs when, uh, when Odell Beckham jr. Did not feel ready to go. And Anthony Schwartz was the one who was not ready to go. He was not ready to play yet. Uh, but, but he got pressed in there and, you know, he actually made a couple of catches in that very first game showed a little bit of promise, but then you get to the second game. And of course that moment that, that one of the defining moments of the entire season is when he stopped on his route and it got picked off against the Texans uh, by the safety, uh, Justin Reed. And, uh, and that was, you know, that was it for Baker Mayfield trying to make the tackle on that and uh, suffered the torn labrum. So that's what happens when you have a rookie out there that's really not ready to be there yet. And it wasn't his fault that he had to be out there because Odell Beckham Jr. still wasn't ready to play yet. That didn't happen until the following week. Um, so he just kind of got off to a, a sort of a star-crossed beginning in the same way that JOK did. Now, he's had this offseason. He works very hard. He's been mentored by Jarvis Landry. They've worked out together. Um, so if he sort of understands football now and he's really worked on his hands a lot, which I know he has, uh, you know, then I think he has an opportunity to contribute this year, especially in the matchup game. Now, I think Donovan Peoples-Jones is ahead of him in terms of, you know, just experience. And if they had to put only two receivers on the field, you know, it, in the very beginning, it would, it would probably be Amari and, and Donovan Peoples-Jones, depending on how quickly David Bell comes up the learning curve. But there will also be times uh, when you want to exploit a matchup with a slower cornerback or something uh, that you can throw Anthony Schwartz out there and take advantage of his blazing speed if he has gotten the other parts of his game together. So I do still think uh, that he can contribute this year largely uh, because he will have Deshaun Watson potentially throwing him the football. And, and I know when I, when I watched him last year, maybe this is just a result of him thinking too much and just not being comfortable. Like in that Green Bay game, which I guess was probably his best game, it, it didn't look fast. You know, that, that was the thing that kind of, it didn't look fast. And maybe that was just hesitancy. Maybe that was just, again, him not being comfortable. You've got to be comfortable and, and really have a good feel for what you're doing. And so Scott, maybe being a little further down, having expectations a little bit lower will allow him to just sort of just go out there and play and, and be who he is, because ultimately that's, what's going to separate him is if he can take that sprinter speed and turn it into football speed and just be a problem. Yeah, I think the key for him is settling into a position that's just more appropriate for where he's at. Um, you know, some guys, it works out like DPJ, you know, worked out for him his rookie year when he was kind of pressed into it. I think there were, see, he played 14 games, shorts did last year, and eight of them, he had 24 or more snaps. So I don't know, that's probably more than they wanted to have him on the field, considering, like Mary Kay said, how, you know, how much time he missed and, 
just not having that ramp that a lot of other players have uh, through camp and everything. But he, he led the team in average depth of target over 17 yards last season, but his catch rate was the worst. He only caught 45% of his targets. So that's, that's the big thing right there. He's always going to be a guy that they want to get the ball to farther downfield and those passes need to be completed, but that's his, like, that's his thing. That's why you got Anthony Schwartz is to catch those passes. So getting better at that, even if you're not getting as many opportunities, you know, making the passes that you do get downfield, catching them and making something out of them. Because if you're Anthony Schwartz and you can't do that, then I don't know how long you're going to be here. Yeah. The other thing too, Mary Kay, I think is like, because he didn't contribute in the return game that hurt him too. And, and now that's sort of off the table. They went and got Jakeem Grant. That's going to be his job. So, so that's off the table, but I do think that was something that, I mean, Mike Prefer wanted him to be one of their returners, whether it was a kickoff returner, whether it was a punt returner, I, I think they really wanted him as a kickoff returner and it just, it didn't happen for him. Yeah. I mean, once again, it's, it's really hard to have all of that on your plate when you're so injured. I mean, it really, you know, when you have a hamstring injury and you're a, a world-class type of sprinter, uh, it's, it's really hard to play at the top of your game and to take on other things like special teams and kick returns and all that kind of stuff. So um, again, I don't think he will need to do that as much this year, if at all, uh, unless there are times when they really, really want to take advantage of that speed. Um, but if they kind of just, you know, give him a chance to acclimate to the team, then um, I think he should be okay. And I really do think, uh, you know, when we're talking about catch rate, uh, I, I think for most of the guys, it should be better with Deshaun Watson than it was with a struggling and injured Baker Mayfield. Now, having said that, we don't even know how many games Deshaun Watson is going to be playing this year. I mean, we just have no idea. Um, so that makes it difficult to, to have any of these discussions right now, really. But when he does get the opportunity to play with Deshaun, I think Deshaun is going to, uh, to really enjoy getting the ball downfield to somebody that's that fast. And I think he'll get it there and get it out of his hand on time. And, um, and I think those two can probably develop some nice chemistry together. It's going to start this weekend in the Bahamas, and I'm not going to be there to see it, unfortunately. But I have a feeling uh, that timing will get, will get rolling on Nassau. Uh, this weekend. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that uh, he has potential uh, in large part uh, because of the QB. All right, let's take a break and then let's talk through the second half of that 2021 draft class. I'm back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Okay. Do we have to talk about James Hudson? Is, can we Can we kind of skip over that? Because I feel like I guess for me, what I would say is what I said last year and it ended up happening is like, if we're talking about James Hudson, then something went wrong. And unfortunately things went wrong last year. I feel like it's still kind of that way. You know, if, if they're healthy, if Jack Conklin's healthy and that line's healthy, then, then James Hudson is, is kind of an extra lineman. So uh, I'll skip him unless somebody really wants to pound the table here to talk about some James Hudson. Um, I mean, the just really quick. I mean, the one thing with him obviously is the run blocking was right. horrible um, compared to, the pass blocking, which also wasn't necessarily great at times, but just to point out, like, I think obviously like you're saying, Dan, it's kind of hard to glean anything about 
what he did because he just was put in a position that he just clearly wasn't ready for, but it was out of necessity. And like, you look at that last Steelers game as an example, and he's, you know, not really getting any help, which Baker talked about. And obviously Baker was holding onto the ball a little bit too long in that game as well, not really doing himself or James Hudson any favors, but yeah, I just think you're, you're kind of right here that it's like, if you're talking about him, if you were seeing him, it's because something went wrong. And I think last year showed why that's the case. Like he just was not ready for that kind of role. Chris Hubbard's injury played as much into that as anybody's. Um, Hubbard's around. Hudson isn't the guy that you turn to there at all. Okay. So here's what I'm going to do. We're going to take Tommy Togiai, Tony Fields, the second and Richard LeCount, the third, and we're going to put them all in a big ball. And I'm going to ask who you think we are talking about most by the end of the season, which of those three defensive players, maybe we all have the same answer here, but which of those three players is like the most we're talking about him as like most interesting player moving forward out of those three. So Tommy Togiai, Tony Fields and Richard LeCount. Well, if if anybody says Tony Fields, I would love to hear that argument because (laughs) he played zero snaps on defense last year. I I do feel I was thinking about this today. Like when we did the GM draft, I I was going back when I was doing my homework on before that draft, I would go through some GMs like Les Snead, right, has hit on some late round picks. And it's like, oh, that was a great pick. But then there's like three picks, you know, two, three picks every draft. And you're like, I don't even remember that guy. And I am a little concerned that Tony Fields might be headed down that road that five years from now, we're going to look back at Andrew Barry drafts and be like, Tony Fields, I completely forgot about him. So for me, I think I'm going to go with not Tony Fields. I'm going to go with Richard LeCount. Um, Honestly, he only played 76 snaps last year. And number one, wasn't there like mid about mid season, a discipline thing with him that we didn't really get any details on. So that was part of it. Um, it was basically like a red shirt year for him and they bring Ronnie Harrison back, but they don't bring MJ Stewart back. Like, I, I think to me, he is this guy who can maybe see some time in a, in a backup role, but get some meaningful playing time behind, you know, these other mainstays, JJ three grant Delpit, things like that. So I, I think I'm going to go with him, even though I think there is an, maybe an argument to be made for, for Tommy Togi, I given how, kind of open the middle of that defensive line is as well. LeCount was one of the kind of preseason stars, Mary Kay. He came up with some interceptions and then he did just, he just sort of disappeared after that. Yeah. He's got some physical talent. He's got good traits. Uh, And, you know, he, he sort of looks the part a little bit, uh, but it's one of those things you take a flyer on him there in the fifth round and you hope he can work into something. So this will be the year. Remember, I think we always need to keep remembering this about, the Andrew Berry drafts. He really does draft for potential in the second and third year. A lot of the times, that's why these guys are so young. They need development. And so you cannot draw any conclusions on them in many cases in their rookie years, except for if they're the first round pick or the second round pick. Um, So yeah, I'm very interested in interested to see how he does. When you look at Tommy Togiai, um, he, well, he didn't see the field hardly at all last year. When he did, he earned a 39 point at, eight PFF grade second worst on the team again not based on many snaps a healthy scratch for most of the season uh so uh, the thing about Tommy Togia is that I've watched him a lot in practice and he it really looked to me like the lights were starting to come on 
and it looked like he was fitting in. It looked like you could see that he was working really hard at it. I don't know if there's anything there or not. I don't know, but the opportunity is certainly there. I mean, my goodness, the, uh, there, there are chances to be part of that rotation. They don't even necessarily uh, have a, a bona fide starter yet. Although I think Perry on Winfrey will be a starter inside there, but you know, you've got the, Taven Bryans, the Jordan Elliott's, Tommy Togiai, uh, Sheldon Day, and and Perry on Winfrey for the most part are the are the key guys in there. And so the chance is there for Tommy Togiai to say, you know, I'm going to get some playing time this year. So I, he is one to watch. As far as Tony Fields is concerned, he was supposed to be the poor man's JOK, right? He was sort of like a JOK clone size, skill set, uh, you know, not as high level of skill set, uh, but the same kind of traits. And, and he's somebody that I think they hoped would uh, be someone that they could roll in there, roll into the rotation and see what he could do. So I, I don't know. I don't know. if uh, He was completely set back by a pretty serious foot injury last year. I was surprised he didn't end up having surgery on that thing. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I mean, last year was a wash for him. I don't know if there's anything to him or not. And then, again, as you mentioned, Richard LeCount, again, this is a, this is a chance for him this year. They, uh, you know, they use a lot of safeties. They love the position. Uh, they love the versatility. And, uh, and it's, it's a, a chance for him to show that he belongs out there. LeCount's one of those picks that I think, even if it doesn't work out, you understand the process of it. Like, he was a guy that got hurt. Um, you know, pretty serious injury. And, you know, he, he was probably lucky to even still be able to play football. But former five-star guy, SEC, very athletic, great traits, dropped because he couldn't really participate in his pro day as well. So I, I certainly understood the process of, of why you take Richard LeCount when, when you take him. So that, that's one of those picks that I don't think you have any issue with, whether it works out or not. I think of those three, this is, I don't want to say make or break. This might be the most important year for Togiai because of what you said, Mary Kay. Like there, there's an, there's a clear opportunity there for him. I don't know that that clear opportunity exists for mm-hmm. LeCount or, or for Tony Fields, but like, this is right. like, Tommy, this is your chance. It's right there. If you want to be a starter and you want to get on the field, go, go get it. And he's played at a high level of competition. I mean, when you play at, at Ohio state and you're a defender, uh, an interior defender like that, you know, you've played, some, some darn good football. So, you know, it, it seems like he should be ready to step in there and at least be part of the rotation. Um, and, you know, I mean, again, he's going to be going up against Jordan Elliott. We talked about him yesterday, uh, who to this point, I would say uh, has been somewhat of a disappointment unless he really steps it up this year. So uh, this is a chance for Tommy Togiai to, to plant his little flag, so to speak. He's got to be the guy we're going to be talking about the most because if we're talking about Fields or LeCount, it's because people got injured. And I know LeCount has a, you know, he has fewer obstacles to get on the field than Fields does, but just, you know, bad things have happened if we're talking about those guys. But with Togi, I like everybody's right. It's, it's kind of wide open. And although he's, he's part of that defensive interior last year, five, Mary Kay mentioned his grade, five of the bottom six grades, PFF wise, for the Browns on defense defensive tackles the only guy the guy at the bottom herb miller played nine snaps so it's basically all your you know it's malik mcdowell malik jackson jordan elliott tommy togiai sheldon day is the only one 
who had a grade above like even backup level. And for those who don't know, 60, below 60 is replacement level. All these guys, all these defensive tackles, they were below 50. So it was not a good year for the inside of the Browns line, at least from PFF grading standpoint. Uh, so that's where Tommy Togiai and guys like Jordan Elliott too are kind of trying to rebound from. And I mean, you look at the guys they have on the depth chart right now and you, it could be any two guys, you don't know. I'm really interested to see who lines up there first when we actually see them doing full team kind of stuff, because it's, it's totally up in the air. Maybe it is Tommy Togiai. That's why I think he probably has the best chance of any of those guys to, to be somebody where, you know, critiquing and analyzing. All right. Last one here on our list. Again, another really fascinating guy here, Demetric Felton, uh, mostly played receiver last year, uh, practiced most lit a receiver when he was on the sidelines, waiting to go into games and standing next to Rashard Higgins and all those guys. Uh, so he was basically a receiver last year. It's a very crowded running back room. Uh, he is still listed as a running back. We had a scout tell us that he was still a running back, but I don't think he should have said that. <laughs> he might not entirely be informed there. Uh, but Demetric Felton in 2022 flashes last year, had that great game. I think it was, I think it was the Bears game, right? A lot of fun, made somebody miss, scored a touchdown. What does he look like in 2022, Mary Kay? What what is what is Demetric Felton exactly? Well, you know, I think he is a specialty player. And I think to try to classify him and pigeon, pigeonhole him into one position, I just don't think that's the way it's going to go. I think that he's kind of a, a jack of both trades. And, um, and if they need him more at receiver because of injuries or because of what's going on at that position, then he'll be more in the receiver room again. And if they need him more running back, and right now it doesn't look like uh, there's too much room in that room for, for him with Jerome Ford and Dearness Johnson, Kareem, Nick, um, you know, he'll spend some time there too. So I don't think they're too worried about classifying him as one or the other. And I think they'll try to find ways to get him some specialty plays and give him an opportunity to contribute at, at either spot or on some gadgety type plays and on special teams. Ashley, a couple off seasons ago, I pounded the table that Kareem Hunt should be the slot receiver. I will give you the opportunity here to make the case mm-hmm. for Demetric. So this can be your lane, Demetric Felton slot receiver. Are you going to take this opportunity? No, Dan, you know what? I think I will very nicely leave that lane for you <laughs> again, if you really want to take it and plug another name in there. Um, yeah, I don't know. This is a guy who just is kind of confusing to me, I think. And like Mary Kay was saying, maybe his his best role is going to be as a special teams contributor, and that's fine. Like, you need guys like that. But I just think that these rooms, both of these rooms are kind of getting kind of crowded for him to be a consistent contributor in either, especially the running back room. And I know we've talked about, like, oh, they could use, like, more depth that receiver maybe, but – when we've talked about that, it's always been like a veteran receiver who could step in and be like a true number two. And Demetric Felton just isn't that. So I, I don't know. He's just confusing for me. And, and like you said, like we heard from a scout, oh, he's, he's going to be with the running backs. And then Kevin Stefanski was like, not so fast. Basically when we talked to him shortly after that, it sounded like he might be getting reps with, with both of those. And, and I wonder, you know, for a player where he was taken and 
everything like that. Like, I wonder how that maybe impacted his development a little bit, like having to wear both hats and kind of go back and forth. I can see how it would be a positive, but I could also see how maybe it could have hindered him a little bit in his rookie year as well. So I don't know what exactly his, his role is going to look like, but I do think when you're talking about consistent contributor at either of those spots, like I don't necessarily see that for him. Gosh, I'm not sure where he fits. Uh, because the last, the last two years, the Browns have kept, they kept four running back, three running backs and a fullback going into 2020. They kept four running backs and a fullback last season. So if they kept four running backs, you got Chubb Hunt, Dernis Johnson, Jerome Ford, who remember they have yet to cut a rookie they drafted. Um, I, I don't know where Demetri Felton fits in, in there, uh, unless they're looking to make a trade, perhaps Dernis Johnson, who knows? Um, but he's the fifth guy on that list. I think we would assume they've kept six wide receivers on their initial 53, the last two years. So that's Cooper, DPJ, David Bell, Anthony Schwartz, Jakeem Grant. Uh, then there's that last spot. You got Michael Woods, Jamarcus Bradley. Is that, is that Demetri Felton? The return game. They, they went out and got Jakeem Grant. Who's awesome in the return game and looks like he's going to be the guy handling that. So that's something else you take off Demetri Felton's plate. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm eager to see where, where he's lining up and reps and how, you know, where he's going between the wide receivers and, and running backs. We saw him, you know, spend a day here, a day there last year. I don't know. It's, it's, you don't want to get rid of a guy like that because it is, it just, you'd want to have a guy who can do different things like that. He was really good at those bubble screens. I think he scored against the Texans too on one of those. Um, but I don't know, maybe you got five other guys who can do that too, if you block right. So yeah, I don't know. I have no idea where Felton fits in. We know he can do a lot of different stuff, but this roster, I think got a lot more crowded at the two positions he plays and really that's the three jobs he had. The other thing when I think about him is too, and as we talk about how Andrew Barry is building his roster and he looks down the road a year or two, I mean, if you look at what's going on at the running back position, Kareem Hunt is heading into the final year of his contract. And Dearness Johnson is also basically heading into the final year of his contract. So conceivably, uh, you could be without both of those guys after this year. And then you have um, Demetric Felton and Jerome Ford replacing them. So if you can find a way to keep them around and you can do that with the practice squad and, and whatever the case may be, if you guys, if you can keep them around and continue to develop them, it might not be what can you do for me this year, but it might be what can you do for me next year and the year after. So I think we need to be thinking of it in those kinds of terms. I'm still not sold on Demetric Felton as a running back. And we saw him get more snaps outside the backfield than in the backfield. That was one thing. And then he, I mean, he didn't, he averaged like 3.4 yards per carry last year. Um I don't know. I think that's the big thing. We have to see him excel as a running back behind this offensive line. And then maybe you feel better about that as the, as a guy who you kind of turn to in the future. But at this point, we haven't seen that. And the other problem here is it's a Dearness Johnson problem. The guy is just, the guy is really difficult to cut. 
And I think we saw that last year. I think a lot of us thought like he's going to be the odd man out as soon as they drafted Demetric Felton. Well, that's the end for Dearness. And he just made himself too valuable, too difficult to cut. And we've seen him produce in games, you know, on Sundays or Thursdays, whenever. That makes it hard for Demetric Felton because there does come a point where you as a front office and as a coaching staff have to make a decision like, do we tie ourselves to a draft pick or do we just keep the guy that's been really good for us and has just constantly over and over again performs well for us. And, and that's, that's sort of where the Browns are getting it as a roster. They've, they've brought in three draft classes now, and, and it's a good problem to have. Having too many guys is not a bad thing. So that, that's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Okay, there we go. Our look at the 2021 draft class and our expectations for them in 2022. Uh, make sure you're a Football Insider subscriber. Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. And of course, subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your podcast on Apple and Spotify. Uh, for Mary Kay, Ashley, and Scott, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.